Book One, Chapter Twelve of A Daughter of the Vine by Gertrude Horn Atherton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Book One, Chapter Twelve. Thorpe slept little that night. He wandered about the sand hills until nearly dawn. It seemed to him that he had exhausted the category of possible ills. He could think of nothing else. After all, it did not matter. The woman alone mattered. He knew that when he had persuaded her to marry him, he never used the word if, he could control her imagination and make her happy, and no other man alive could do it. In twenty different ways, he could make her forget everything but the fact that she was his wife. The next day, Nina did not appear until the party was gathered about the table for luncheon. She explained that she had slept late in order to be in good trim for the party that night, and had spent the rest of the morning making an alteration in her evening frock. She nodded gaily to Thorpe and took a seat some distance from him. She looked very pretty. Her spirits, like her colour, were high, her eyes brilliant. Nevertheless, there was a change in her, indefinable at first. Then Thorpe decided that she had acquired a shade of defiance, of hardness. But he had no time for thought. Mrs. Earle's flashing eyes were challenging him on one side, Miss Hathaway's fathomless orbs on the other. Opposite, Miss Shropshire, for the first time, displayed an almost feverish desire to engage his attention and made herself uncommonly agreeable the afternoon was spent in packing and resting for the dance the only woman to be seen without the tents was miss shropshire who took thorpe for a long walk and entertained him with many anecdotes of nina's eccentricities she is very mutable said thorpe at length but i should not have called her eccentric should not you demanded miss shropshire now i should but then you have seen so much of the world so many varieties of women nina seems very original to us out here i often wonder well as i know her what she will say and do next oh mr thorpe does not that ship look beautiful but Thorpe, who found a certain satisfaction in talking of the beloved object, gently led her back to her former theme, and learned much of Nina's childhood and schoolgirl pranks. There was no hint of the mystery, nor did he wish that there should be. Shortly after supper they started on horseback for the mission, the evening gear following in a wagon. Horses and conveyance had been sent by Don Tiburcio, Nina rode between Mr. McLean and Captain Hastings, and kept them laughing heartily. The day had passed, and Thorpe had not had a word with her. He rode last, with Miss Hathaway, glad of her society, for she never expected a man to talk when he was not in the mood. Scarcely a word passed between them. Once or twice he had an uncomfortable impression that her large, cold, inscrutable eyes were watching him, intently they rode through the heavy dusk of a californian night perfume and the odd abrupt sounds of the new world about them 
the landscape took new form in the shadows the stunted brush seemed to crouch and quiver ready to spring the owl hooted across the sandy waste and coyotes yapped dismally many of the party were silent but nina's fresh spontaneous laugh rang out every few moments striking an incongruous note california itself was a mystery in that hour and did not consort with the lighter mood of woman suddenly they looked down upon the mission the church was dark but the long wing beside it flared with light they rode rapidly down the hill and across the valley as they approached they saw don tiburcio standing on the corridor before one of the open doors he wore black silk short clothes and a laced shirt his hair tied back with a ribbon diamonds blazed among his ruffles and on his long white hands as he was making one of his long and stately speeches miss hathaway laid her hand on thorpe's arm take my advice she said in her cool even tones do not go near nina tonight let her alone i think she wishes it thorpe made no reply miss hathaway might as well have asked him to hold his breath until the entertainment was over the ladies went at once to a large room set aside for their use and donned their evening frocks these frocks were very simple for the most part organdy or swiss and they were adjusted casually before the solitary mirror nina's gown was of white ninsuk ruffled to the waist with lace and very full the low-cut bodice was gathered into a belt like a child's Sometime since a local goldsmith of much cunning had out of a bar of native gold fashioned for her three flexible serpents She wore one through her hair one on her left arm and a heavier one about her waist Dios de mi alma Nina exclaimed mrs. Earle you look like an imp tonight. What is the matter with you your eyes look Look I hardly know what you do look like are you well nina asked miss hathaway turning and smiting the girl with her polaric stare have not you a headache why not lie down and not bother with this ball for a moment nina did not reply she brought her small teeth together and looked into miss hathaway's eyes with passionate resentment just mind your own business will you she said pitching her voice for the other woman's ear alone and you'd oblige me by transfixing someone else for the rest of the evening i've had enough of your attentions for one day then she shook out her skirts as only an angry woman can and left the room nina is in one of her unpleasant moods tonight said mrs mclean attempting a glimpse of herself over miss mcdermott's shoulder that she might adjust a hairpin i have not seen her like this for some time seven weeks and she smiled she looks like a little devil said mrs earle i have not been here long enough to become intimate with her moods and i must say i prefer her without them what are you scowling about loopy is your sash crooked can i fix it but i forgot you are above such trifles holy mary guadalupe hathaway what on earth is the matter with your back what asked miss hathaway presenting her back squarely 
there was a simultaneous chorus of shrieks guadalupe for heaven's sake what have you been doing cried mrs mclean your back is striped dark brown and white oh is that all asked miss hathaway gathering up her fan and gloves i suppose it got sunburned this morning at croquet i had on a blouse with alternate thick and thin stripes hasta luego and she moved out not with any marked grace but with a certain dignity which saved the stripes from absurdity bueno exclaimed mrs earle i'd like to have as little vanity as that how peaceful and how cheap i suspect that it is her vanity to have no vanity said mrs mclean who was the wisest of women and if she did not happen to be a remarkably handsome girl i fancy her vanity would take another form but come come mes enfants let us go i feel half dressed but as this is a picnic i suppose it does not matter the guests were assembled in the large hall of the mission mr randolph's party don tiburcio's and several priests the musicians were on the corridor beyond the open window Doña Eustaquia, Doña Jacoba, Doña Prudencia, Mrs. Polk, and the priests sat on a dais at the end of the room. Behind them was draped a large Mexican flag. The rest of the room was hung with the colors of the United States. The older women of the late regime wore the heavy red and yellow satins of their time. The younger flowered silks, their hair massed high and surmounted by a comb the caballeros were attired like their host the guests were standing about in groups after the second waltz when don tiburcio stepped to the middle of the room and raised his hand my friends he said my honoured compatriots don hunt mclean and don jaime randolph have request that we do have the contradanza therefore if my honoured friends of america will but stand themselves against the wall we of california will make the favorite dance of our country the americans clapped their hands politely don tiburcio walked up to mrs earle bowed low and held out his hand she rattled her fan in token of triumph over her northern sisters and undulated to the middle of the room her hand in her host's the swaying writhing gliding dance the dance in which the backbone of men and women seems transformed into the flexible length of the serpent was half over the american men were standing on tiptoe occasionally giving vent to their admiration when nina her eyes sparkling with jealousy and excitement moved along the wall behind a group of people and stood beside thorpe he did not notice her approach his hands were thrust into his pockets his eyes eagerly fixed on the most graceful feminine convolutions he had ever seen dudley whispered nina he turned with a jump and forgot the dancers well he whispered nina nina she slipped her hand into his he held it in a hard grip his eyes burning down into hers why why i must respect your moods if you wish to avoid me at times but do you admire that i did a moment ago tell me how much more than any dancing i have ever seen i think 
his eyes wandering back to the swaying colorous groups of dancers it is the perfection of grace would you like to see something far far more beautiful i fear i should go off my head answer my question i should you say you respect my moods i don't want i particularly don't want to kiss you tonight will you promise not to kiss me if we should happen to be alone thorpe set his lips he dropped her hand you are capricious and unfair he said i have not seen you alone for two days it is not because i love you less she said softly promise me very well it is now ten we shall have supper at twelve at one go down the corridor behind this line of rooms to the end wait there for me ask no questions or i won't be there this waltz is captain hastings i am engaged for every dance au revoir thorpe got through the intervening hours he spent the greater part of them with the four donas on the dace and was warmly invited to visit them on their ranchos and in the old towns and he accepted although he knew as much of the weather of the coming month as of his future movements end of book one chapter twelve